Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Foreign and Domestic Podcast. I'm Jake. And I'm Will. And today we're going to be largely talking about the uh, coronavirus pandemic and its economic implications on the United States and the world, and we might dabble a little bit into uh, more 2020 election stuff, specifically uh, with the recent uh, debate between Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. Obviously, everything we talk about is going to be sort of through the lens of the coronavirus, um, because this is this is really the... I, I cannot think of an event other than, like, 9-11 this century that has been this universal that you can't really talk about anything else separate from this because the implications of of this epidemic are are so far spread so widespread that nothing's really free of it everything now that you look at it has to be looked at through the lens of coronavirus because that's just the overlying like thing that's going on across the world like and it affects everything going on within individual countries yeah and i mean the debate last night um it was it was really odd it was i mean obviously most debates are held in these big halls with live audiences um but this was held in Washington DC studios of CNN and it was just the moderators the candidates there and and that was it, it, it was very somber um, the mood of it was very strange the the podiums were six feet apart compliant with the sort of social distancing um, norms that we've we've created and the candidates did that little elbow bump high five when they walked out. So, and obviously the debate in large part was focused on coronavirus. Um, they laid out their plans for what they would do about it. And I think the distinction that we really clearly saw was that Joe Biden um, presented his plans, his, his policies. He, he showed his understanding of how to address global crises like this um whereas bernie sanders just kind of fell back on his talking points he he sort of said now more than ever we need medicare for all or program x or plan z but joe biden really i think met the moment um and and the polling that we've seen so far uh 538 and ipsos released a poll that shows that most people thought Joe Biden was the winner of that debate. So I'm not sure there's a whole lot to talk about with regards to the debate, but it it seemed like it met the moment. And yeah, of course, um, it does seem, as we talked about before, that just Joe Biden's going to be the nominee at this point. So the debates, I guess, are sort of beating a dead horse. It's sort of just kind of putting a nail in the coffin that Biden will be the nominee and he'll be the one to take on Trump in November. Yeah, and obviously we've seen that coronavirus has injected so much uncertainty into everything, and it's it's done that for the election as well. Um, I mean, we have four big states voting tomorrow, our state of Illinois included, um, along with Ohio, Florida, and 
I am blanking on the fourth one, but I believe that it's it's also a, a big state. Um, I'll, I'll check in a minute, but mm. it, I would imagine voter turnout's going to be pretty low. I mean, other than these states that are voting tomorrow, um, the states past that have largely rescheduled their primaries. Um, and there's going to be about a six-week gap in yeah. who votes. So I think that we'll see lower, low voter turnout tomorrow. Um, I'm planning on voting today, early voting, so I avoid the crowds. And I think we'll see that Bernie Sanders likely will not have some giant upset victory. And he will probably drop out, is is my guess, because hanging around for six weeks where there are no primaries and you have no path to victory is kind of it's futile so that's my prediction and i guess we'll see what happens yeah i definitely agree with you on the voter turnout thing because now a lot of people are self-quarantining, as you see. A lot of people just don't want to leave their houses. They're stocking up on food and all that, so they don't have to go anywhere. And uh, people are just trying to avoid leaving their houses. And I don't think um, that a lot of people are willing to go out and vote if it means they have to leave that self-quarantine and leave the quote-unquote safety of their uh, house. Yeah, and I mean, we've seen... Uh, there was a tweet just yesterday from uh, Brianna Joy Gray, who's, uh, I believe, the press secretary with um, Bernie Sanders' campaign. And she was responding to something Simone Sanders had said on CNN. Um, and Simone Sanders was encouraging people to still vote, which I do think people should still be encouraged to vote because there's a lot of stuff that we can put on pause, a lot of stuff that we can halt. But voting's just so incredibly fundamental. It's a necessity. It's not something that we can afford to ignore. Exactly. Um, so, Brianna Joy Gray tweeted in response to Simone Sanders, um, who's with Biden's campaign. Um, she tweeted something along the lines of it, it not being safe to vote on Tuesday. Um, and this, this was met obviously with accusations of voter suppression. And I, I mean, largely, I think that's true. It's, it's pretty bad. Uh, but it's also like, there are concerns about people gathering in large numbers in polling places. And <laughs> You can't really ignore that either. And I will be voting. Um, I hope others will be voting. But there's just so much uncertainty. And we just don't know. Yeah. And I, I, I definitely agree that that's sort of voter suppression. I don't think we should be encouraging people not to vote. We, we should be obviously just saying, do the usual wash your hands, use hand sanitizer, just be aware but we shouldn't be straight up saying don't vote. Yeah, I mean, in terms of, like, other aspects of life, I think it is a good idea to stay home if you're able. I mean, my job 
one of my jobs. Uh, I am going to be working from home. The other, I still have to go in. Um, but it, it's not... The numbers that we're seeing right now in terms of like 3,000, 4,000 cases, that's likely in order of magnitude or so less than the actual true number of cases. Mm -hmm. Although, as we've seen, that doesn't stop people from closing stuff and canceling things. Like um, our governor uh, here in Illinois, or our government at least, um, has closed all restaurants and bars for the next two weeks. So that means I'm not working for the next two weeks. Um, it, honestly, as as he should. That's, yeah. I mean, it's it's a tough pill to swallow, but it, what else can you do? I mean, yeah, exactly. We don't have a, a treatment for this. We don't have like any specified like vaccine or anything like that. So like the best thing to do is just try to avoid it from spreading. And well, although it may seem drastic, it, it is, it's useful. I mean, I should, I should clarify that no, we don't have a vaccine, but I mean, you can, you can treat this like, you would treat this as you'd treat the flu. This has a higher death rate than the flu. This seems to be more harsh than the flu. It, it's a far larger concern than the flu, but there's no silver bullet. I mean, you, you can't, you know, take yeah, a pill and it's saying. over, but there's no like specified medication symptoms. or anything like that. Obviously, like you can recover from it. It's not like you're going to die if you get it. It's just more like there's no specific treatment for this specific disease yeah and uh one of the concerns is that one of the treatments that is available for people who have pneumonia or the treatment is putting them on ventilators um and during the average flu season we're already at full capacity in terms of ventilators so the amount of people that we're going to need that are going to need ventilators because they developed pneumonia because of this disease it is so much greater than the number of ventilators we've, we have that that's one of the concerns and i i think production is increasing uh there's talk of being able to 3d print ventilators but it, it, it's still that's one of the areas in which you would have medical professionals being forced to make decisions that you don't ever want to have to make Mm -hmm. Although it does seem that right now, from what I've been reading, there there is sort of a treatment or medication on the way, according to doctors, because we have uh, pretty much most of the world's uh, doctors and health yeah. organizations working towards treating this. So allegedly a treatment or um, something that could help with this is on the way in the next few weeks. I mean, I, I have not read anything specifically about that, but I'm sure they're working on um, more specific treatments other than, like, the br broad treatments of the symptoms. Mm -hmm. But should we now turn to sort of the economic effects um, oh, yeah, of the coronavirus? Yeah, we, we saw, um, I believe it was yesterday, I mean, <laughs> time is moving in weird ways during this. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> but... The Federal Reserve cut interest rates close to zero. Um, 
and launched a round of quantitative easing, um, totaling about $700 billion. Um, and if, if people don't know what that is, basically that means the Federal Reserve is purchasing bonds um, other than the T-bonds uh, in quantitative easing, meaning they're essentially injecting money into the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's likely what needs to be done, but we saw the Dow Jones open today down a lot. Right now it's down, it's at about 21,000. Um, it's gone down about 9% today, which is just shocking. Um, and it seems like the, the moves that the Federal Reserve made did not do enough to calm fears. So, yeah, it's it's definitely seeming like at least the Fed's trying to do something uh, to prevent uh, the economy from entering recession. But obviously it hasn't done enough. But these are like with the interest rates, this I, I'm pretty sure um, these these cuts were more drastic than in 2008. I think these are the most drastic cuts we've seen in a long time. Um. I know in 2008 they went close to zero as well, and they had several rounds of quantitative easing uh, during the recovery. Um, but you might be right. I, I don't know the specifics there. Um, yeah. But the the issue is that so there's a lot of uncertainty, and that is true of the prospect of a recession. Uh, a recession is classically defined as two consecutive quarters of negative uh, GDP growth. Um, and it's possible because of, and, and we don't have the numbers yet, but it's possible that Q1 of 2020 will still have positive GDP growth because this did not become a factor economically or, or, or a huge factor economically uh, until the end of Q1 of mm. 2020. And what I've seen some people say is that Q2 will have just drastic um, drastic econ- economic uh, decline as large as like negative 10% in terms of GDP growth, which is incredible. Uh-huh. This is but, something we haven't really seen in a while too. Yeah, and the the economist that I saw say that um, said that predicted that that Q2 um, catastrophe would be followed by positive growth in Q3, but uh, the National Bureau of Economic Research would still probably uh, call this a recession, even though it does not meet the traditional definition. Mm-hmm. I think, but I again, it's an appropriate all... term to describe it, anyways. Yeah, these are these are all predictions. We don't know. We don't have a lot of good economic data yet. Um, and honestly, that's not necessarily the priority right now. Because the federal government is so focused on providing necessary necessary resources to deal with the coronavirus outbreak itself. Mm-hmm. 
the the federal government is is more concerned over the actual disease itself right now rather than the effects it will have although with this recent uh fed action it seems that the government's starting to take notice of the economy and starting to um attempt to do something about potential effects of the virus after it's dealt with yeah and when i speak of the federal government i'm, I'm talking about like the federal bureaucracy the various officials who you know have a lot of knowledge in these areas i'm not necessarily talking about the president um who has his own concerns but i i think that's a different issue mm-hmm. so do you have anything else you'd like to say in terms of the economic effects i mean um in the u.s i think we, i think we've pretty much covered it but uh, i think we should move on to the more global impacts economically of the virus yes as as we've seen since it's affecting china it's affecting our trade and it's affecting the global economy on a drastic scale because china is one of the biggest economies in the world yeah so it seems like china's sort of on the upswing in that sense um they've kind of they're past the worst of it um they've contained the outbreak within their borders and it seems like um, supply chains there are largely coming back online, mm-hmm. but we we just don't know if that will be enough to of, of a benefit to the economy to balance out the growth of the pandemic and the economic consequences of the pandemic in other places around the world, and I I doubt it will be enough. Yeah, especially like uh, Europe, for example. Um, I've I've heard that the government is of of our country, the U.S. Um, is allegedly going to extend that uh, travel ban um, because the the outbreaks over there are continuing and are just getting worse at this point. And yeah, I, I, and speaking of Europe as well, um, did you see that ISIS said? Um, that its followers shouldn't travel to Europe to carry out attacks because of the virus. Wow. I yeah. Mean, ISIS is not known for being concerned about the safety of <laughs> their followers, but... But yeah, I mean, that, that's that's something they put out um, a few days ago, basically saying, don't travel to Europe, you're going to get the virus. Well... It, I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of shocked by that, just that ISIS would ever do anything rational, but... <laughs> I mean, it's 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 still uh, trying to get the... trying to protect the safety of people carrying out terrorist attacks, but still, if ISIS is concerned about something, that's, that's very worrying. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that is also a concern. I, I, I have not dug into this a lot, but it, it seems like the situation in Syria has uh, some recent developments over the past couple of days, um, and nobody's really paying attention to them. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm guilty of this as well. I mean, I saw a couple of articles and I didn't click on them. Um, do you do you know anything about that situation? Any recent evolutions? Um, as of now, it just seems like since uh, the ceasefire deal in Idlib was made, um, it's sort of just gone back to what it used to be, and 
like Turkey sort of just kind of gave up on what they were doing, but I haven't really heard much news about it as of yet, mainly due to the focus on the virus. And of course, I myself have been focusing on the virus as well. Yeah. Although what I do know is that um, Iran, who's a major player in Syria, instead of treating the coronavirus, has just decided to send more money to Syrian militias. So there's that. Yeah, and I mean, the coronavirus has hit Iran pretty hard. Um, the vice president, I believe, is infected, and there have been rumors about the president being infected. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's spread throughout the government, um, the parliament, and I, I would be interested to see the implications. And again, this all seems kind of small compared to the immediate threat of coronavirus, but the implications in terms of their, you know, proxies in Iraq, are they, are they still receiving support? And if they are not, I mean, I know Western governments are distracted as well, but this could be a time to consolidate our forces and um, push back against Iranian influence in Iraq and Syria. Because obviously we've seen in the past like a week, you, we saw that attack by Kataib Hezbollah, which is um, an Iranian proxy militia in Iraq. But that was also completely ignored by most people um, because of the virus. Like we saw like um, earlier this year with... Um, the missile strikes that we took mm-hmm. against Iranian militias and Iran's response, everyone was scared about World War Three erupting. And now the same thing happens during the coronavirus outbreak. Nobody's paying attention to it. It just really shows the interesting dynamic that the virus has on just world affairs and what people pay attention to. Yeah. In terms of celebrities who have tested positive for COVID-19 just now, I've seen that Idris Elba has tested positive. Uh-oh. Yeah. Um, it, I'm also seeing that Canada is closing its borders to non-citizens. Mm-hmm. Oh, and here's something that's actually really concerning, is that there have been... Cases have been spreading pretty rapidly in Africa. Yeah. Which is concerning because I, I think many had been sort of counting on warmer weather to do its part in fighting the virus because many viruses that have similar characteristics to this die in warmer weather. Um, But this is an indication that this might not. It's especially bad for countries like uh, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, which just recently ended their Ebola outbreak, and now they have to deal with coronavirus, which they have no treatment for. And especially since they're not that wealthy of a country, and um, their government obviously isn't the uh, best run, this could be very devastating for countries like that. Um, And especially those at conflict as well, like countries like Libya, and those recovering from conflict like South Sudan, this could be very devastating across Africa, and that's very worrying. Yeah, I mean, just as, like, domestically, the poorest people are the most vulnerable to the effects of the coronavirus, the poorest countries, in global terms, are the most vulnerable. Um, 
so that's a concern and the international institutions that in other situations might have been able to come to their aid might not be able to in this situation because they're preoccupied yeah exactly because this the like for example the ebola outbreak um uh the world health organization and people like that were able to effectively contain it because it was just in one sort of area um while with this this is worldwide and so they have to focus they can't just focus on one specific place they have to focus worldwide and that that does that allows for um those particular areas where treatment um for like coronavirus uh, would be need most um are like they're likely going to be ignored for a while yeah i mean this is a global pandemic and as such resources are stretched pretty thin but i really hope that international institutions don't focus solely on western countries um but i don't know we'll see um in terms of trying to sort of look it's a hard thing to do to try and think of what the world's going to look like once we're past this but this seems like it will have large scale implications in terms of uh foreign affairs i mean one thing that has been concerning to me is that china has largely sort of rehabilitated its image which was certainly suffering at the beginning of this outbreak because they lied because they concealed and because they in large part are responsible for allowing the pandemic to spread globally but they are now um providing supplies in Italy um a chinese billionaire jack ma is providing tests and masks and other supplies to the united states and that's all great i'm i'm glad that that's happening uh these places need those supplies it's it's necessary but i'm also concerned about how this if china ends up getting a free pass from this if if china is able to come out of this crisis without having to answer the decisions that they made in the early days of the outbreak that likely led to it becoming so widespread and also this outbreak as we're seeing like as people are focusing on it we have heard nothing about hong kong we've heard nothing about the uyghurs so exactly like uh with the free pass stuff this could be beneficial to china because they could walk out with it of this without anybody remembering any of the atrocities they were committing before the outbreak. Yeah, I I mean early on in the pandemic the narrative was that this would be bad for uh the CCP um that this created instability within China and that's largely not seemed to be the case. I mean obviously this instability to the extent that there was an outbreak but it does not seem like chinese citizens have really forced and I, i'm not i'm not blaming this on chinese citizens to be sure but 
there has not been domestic criticism of the Chinese government to the extent that we maybe thought we would have seen. Mm-hmm. And I think that definitely plays heavily into the CCP's favor, unfortunately. One thing that I, I don't think is getting a lot of play, and this might have changed, but last time I I saw Russia's numbers, it looked like they did not have any coronavirus cases, which could be true. Actually, okay, so they apparently have um, not a lot, like 10 to 50 coronavirus cases. I am skeptical about the truth of those numbers. Now, it could be in part that they closed their borders very early. Um, But, I mean, Vladimir Putin is not the most notoriously honest person. So, that's something that I'm concerned about. Another thing that it could play into is like we were talking about Iran, Iran has been heavily hit by this virus. Um, Like, while the CCP and the Chinese government are able to come out of this sort of with a clean slate, I'm not sure how well that will go over with the Iranian government, because it seems to me that a lot of Iranian citizens are pretty angered at their government for their inability to handle this crisis, and this could honestly lead to the downfall of the Iranian regime if it goes to um, extremes. I mean, I sure hope so. And I I would hope that at the very least there was some assistance from NATO powers to rebel groups if that was a possibility. I I mean, of course, given that the, the rebels had a plan for democratization and liberalization of Iran, which obviously we're getting into realms that are pretty far removed from likelihood but i mean that would be something good that might come of this crisis but it's really hard to see anything good coming out of this at this point um in in terms of talking about the global implications i think we'd be remiss if not to talk about the rapid halting of travel around the globe exactly the the global airline, commercial airline industry has suffered in, immensely from this. Obviously, we've seen like the $20 flights. Everybody's seen that, right? But the fact that there's now travel bans and the fact that nobody's taking flights, nobody's taking like any sort of like traveling that's heavily damaged those industries. And honestly, to the, I'm, I'm not sure how true this is but it could be to the point where it's hard to recover from it yeah i mean i think that a concern that i have about this i obviously ideologically am very committed to the idea of a a global society um in which free trade, multiculturalism, uh, liberalism abounds. And I am concerned that there are those in the populist right in Europe, in America, across the world, 
who use this outbreak as an indictment of that system. I could definitely see that, honestly. Um, but then again, a lot of that's how a lot of like these sort of hardline movements get popularities through crisis. And so just any crisis in general could be used to get support from that. Yeah, I mean, I think this is uniquely suited, though, because it's spread in large part because of the interconnected world we live in. And again, I, I don't think that this is a reason for t to be skeptical of that system. The benefits of this system far outweigh the cost. But there are risks presented by this system, and I think that this should serve as a wake-up call in terms of the need to prepare for those risks. I definitely agree, but also we have to watch out for those hardline movements to, uh, using yeah. this to ad their advantage, obviously. And one way we could do that to prevent this from happening in the future is obviously being prepared for things like this uh, in the system we have. Yeah. Should we now sort of shift to the more... Uh nebulous societal implications of coronavirus because that's something that i think is going to receive a lot of attention when this is written about in the history books oh yeah definitely definitely i, th I think we should because i mean obviously the nature of this is isolation people are, are forced to self-isolate um large gatherings are not recommended um i think a lot are now banned like, we've had virtually yeah. every concert in existence banned. Every sort of sport has closed down. Every school in virtually every state is now closed for a month to two months. Um, now I don't think seen... we're to that point where, like, um, I think maybe about half of states have shut down schools. Yeah. It right just, now, it just but... it seems like most have, and obviously now we're starting to see some states, including Illinois, right, shut down restaurants and shut down yeah. uh, things for two weeks. So obviously the social aspect of this is pretty bad. Honestly, um, thinking about it, um, I wonder how this would impact people's mental health, you know, because now they're not able to do a lot of the same things they would usually go out and do. I wonder how it would affect working people because a lot of now their jobs are now closed down and it's just interesting in a bad way just to see how this impacts society yeah i mean and and one of my like sort of broader world views is that like like i said i, I so and this is going to seem off track but i promise it relates liberalism i I think fundamentally has been the most successful ideology throughout world history. And I think the story of world history is best told through the liberalization of the world. And I think the reason it has and hopefully will continue to be so effective is because it is able to incorporate um, concerns that other ideologies have about it. It's, it's, able to answer them like for example in the early 1900s the 
communist socialist movements um, were gaining traction and they had a lot of criticisms about liberalism. They said liberalism relies too strongly on the free markets. It relies too strongly on um, corporations doing the right thing. Um, labor movements also had criticisms of liberalism. And the answer that liberalism had to these criticisms was, okay, well, we're going to build institutions to protect workers' rights. We're going to build a welfare state to make sure that people aren't in um, in abject poverty, which largely they no longer are in the United States. Abject poverty, uh, extreme poverty being defined as like less than $2 a day to live on, which is still very present in many other places in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and a criticism that I think has a lot of validity right now is that of social conservatism. And when I say social conservatism, I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm not talking about some bombastic guy on Fox News. I'm talking about Ross Douthat, um, Michael Brenton Doherty, people who are writing and thinking about the ideas of community that have largely evaporated in favor of the individual that liberalism has promoted. Mm, And I think that criticism is true to an extent. We've put such a we've put such an emphasis on individual that it's led to a lot of consequences that are pretty harsh. I think that has to do with the rise in uh, mental health issues in this country. Uh, It it has to do with a lot of the social ills we see in various parts of life, uh, radicalization of young people. um, And I think a lot of that is a lack of community because individualism has put a premium on or liberalism has put a premium on individualism and this has seen um institutions that promote community like churches and i mean if you know me i'm not a religious person but Mm. churches certainly had a lot to offer in that sense and i think something liberalism needs to answer is how do we recreate communities how do we foster how do we answer this criticism? And I think this is a lot of relevance to the coronavirus epidemic because we're essentially enforced individualism. Uh, Isolated in our homes, we're... It's essentially all of our societal difficulties that have been written about, that have been talked about, are now present 24-7 for a month. And I, I think that that's something that we need to answer to. Um, I, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on this? Um, I, I don't. I think you've honestly covered it all. That was, that was really insightful, honestly. I mean, I, I think that this is something that will probably get a lot of um, attention. I think that we're already seeing some people, I know, as we're as recline i believe wrote about the social implications of the coronavirus epidemic mm-hmm. i mean i think a lot of it is just wait and see um i think that this is going to be a time that's going to be very hard for a lot of people and a lot of the things that bring people joy are not going to be practical not going to be advisable in many cases not going to be legal 
um, for the next couple weeks or months. Uh, MLB just pushed back the start of the season to mid-May. And that's something for me personally that brings me a lot of joy. Yeah. Um, people aren't going to be able to go out and get dinner with their friends. And I don't know. Th- this is certainly going to be a-, a difficult time. I mean, for now, it's nice not having to wake up early. For now, it's nice not having to go to sleep. But I think that we will soon recognize how important it is for us to every day be going out and doing stuff and how hard it is to live without that. Definitely. I definitely agree with that. Cause like, I know me personally, when I heard like all the restaurants are closing and all that stuff, it just seemed. And now that like people are like self quarantining and like now people aren't like allowed to go out or whatever. It's just sort of just like making me reflect on like, wow, that's, you know, cause <clears throat> I I would frequently go out with my friends and things like that. Now that that's sort of taken away from me, it's like, what am I going to end up doing for these two, three weeks or whatever that I'm sitting at home? Yeah. And I mean, something that I, I think people should do, something that I've been doing, call family members, like extended family, people you don't necessarily need to, or you don't necessarily talk to uh, during your regular life. I mean, they're in the same situation. I'm sure they'd love to have a conversation with you call old friends, you know, all, all of that stuff. I mean, we're lucky, though, that we do live in a time with the technology that we have, that we, ha- we, we are able to answer some of these things. Exactly. So, I think, do you have anything else you want to cover? I, th- I, think, I think we got it all for today. Okay, sounds good. I, I believe we'll be recording another episode at some point uh, a couple days from now. Obviously, we've all got a lot of time on our hands. Uh <laughs> Yeah. So we're we're going to try and keep everybody up up to date with what's going on with coronavirus and its implications and as well as other things that you probably might not have heard of because of coronavirus um all the focus on that so stay tuned. Yeah. Okay.